Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Randy. That was a good word. I just have one question. What does a man of faith and prosperity like you do in a flea market? That was, that thing kind of stuck in my head, you know. That's really, brother. That was the only flaw. Otherwise, it was a wonderful message. Amen. You, you know, it reminds me of a friend of mine. Uh, he pastors a big charismatic church in Singapore. And, uh, he, he, you know, he's not word of faith, but he's a close friend of mine. How many of you know we got to be friends with people? Uh, as long as they are full gospel, they believe Jesus saves, Jesus heals, and, you know, uh, uh, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, I can be friends with them. Even if they don't see eye to eye with everything, as long as they believe the fundamentals, I believe we can be friends and we can preach with them and minister together with them. So uh, this brother, he told me something very interesting. He said he had, a, he had severe asthma and he needed to carry, uh, you know, a thing you inhale with him and it was very severe. He said, I was once overseas, I almost died because I got this asthma attack and they had to rush him to a hospital and then he said that he had this his whole life and one day the Lord told him you need to get faith to be healed from this and actually I read it about three four days ago he he wrote this and and so he said uh, okay how do I get faith for this then the Lord told him you'll find it in the word because he, he could have easily said Lord give me faith you know and but faith doesn't come that way faith comes through the word so the Lord said, well, the way you get faith is through the word. So he began to, you know, he got into the word and then he followed the same process that Brother Randy has described. And he began to do this that he had never been taught. I mean, he didn't go to Rhema or anything. He just began to speak the word, confess the word, because that's the direction the Lord led him. And uh, so he wrote this. He said, I'm now celebrating my third year, totally asthma-free I don't carry my, you know, inhaler thing around anymore. And I, and, you know, and, and I read that and I say, you know, this thing works. This thing works. And so I'm now 67 and I see things in my body and I'm going to, I'm doing the same thing. I said, Lord, I want you to uh, give me faith and, and point me to the word that I need to stand on. You know, and I believe we should all be doing that. Yes, uh, now, the, the other thing is that on top of that, uh, I see a lot of people dying all around me. Yeah. This is such a terrible season. And it's not just COVID. It's just all kinds of things. People dying of cancer. People, uh, I've, got, I've lost so many friends. I've lost more friends in the past one year than in the past 10 years. You know, pastors and, uh, and missionaries and people serving God. And the Lord told me that uh, you, you pray for these people. Pray for these people and, and be diligent because, you know, often I realize we Pentecostals, we, we, we write on Facebook, I'm praying for you. You're not praying for anyone. It's just something they say. And, and the Lord told me, you've got to be honest. If you, if you say I'm praying for you, you, you better pray for them and not just talk because, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, and, 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 the, and then the Lord says that anytime uh, someone writes on Facebook and says, well, I'm praying for somebody, even if you don't know them, you pray for them. Uh, and, and so then, then I realized, you know, I'm believing God for myself and I'm praying for other people. 
And, uh, and then, you know, you, you are doing ministry and all that. So you, you get so much into it that you don't have time for all this other nonsense. That's right. Amen. Talking how bad Joe Biden is, how bad the Democrat. Listen, I don't have time for that garbage. Amen. Because I've got so many other things on my agenda. And people who have time for this nonsense, I tell you, it's because they don't have a passion for the gospel and a passion for the lost. And so anyway, anyway, I, I'm treading on murky waters right now. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for the great commission. Thank you, Father, for your mercies. Thank you for your holy word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, um, I had in my heart to share with you from Matthew 24. It talks about the end times because something stirred in me on my, not this last trip to Africa, but a few months ago uh, when I was uh, in Tanzania, uh, I was eating in a restaurant and I saw this American couple and began to talk to them. And uh, well, this guy, uh, somehow he found out my number and I was doing two crusades there. So he called me and he wanted to see me. And he said, I'm the guy you met at the restaurant. I said, you know, can I talk to you? He sounded like he needed some advice. So he came and it turned out he was from uh, Lancaster, where I live, Pennsylvania. And so I asked him, oh, that's interesting. So what are you doing here? He said, well, since President Joe Biden got elected, God told me there's judgment coming over America and God told me to flee America. Uh, my wife and I, we sold everything and we came to Tanzania. So I said, okay. So I said, what church do you go to? Did you go to the U.S.? He said, well, we went to many churches, but nobody's really preaching the word of God. Anyway, it came out, this guy had a college degree, he's educated, but educated, education is a good thing, but it doesn't always equate with having brains, you know. So, because, uh, I mean, no church was good enough for him. So he says, but you know what? He says, I study the Bible a lot, and I have no doubt, because he was quoting scriptures. Man, he was talking circles around me, you know? Yeah. And, and he prays a lot. He said, I pray a lot, and I study the Bible a lot. But you know, you can do these things and be misled. The devil can get right in there. And this is what had happened to him. And he began to, he was, I mean, he was... A conspiracy theorist on steroids. He was, he was talking about the internet website, about these planets and, uh, and these things that NASA is hiding from us. And uh, I mean, just he, he, he said some of the most outlandish things, but he had, uh, he had good authority for all of those things, you know, talking about different websites and all that. And then he said, but God has sent me here and we are looking for the next step. We are to go from Tanzania. And I said to him, you know, he's talked two and a half hours. So finally, uh, I, I said, excuse me, I had to send a text message to my team leader. I said, can, can you call me in 10 minutes uh, so I can get out of this, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so <laughs> I need, I, so any, anyway, so, so I said to him, I said, dear brother, uh, if the Lord is showing you all these things, and, and, I said, and he said, I don't know why God has sent me to Africa. I have no idea. I said, if God has shown you all of these things and all these revelations you have is true and God has sent you to Africa and you don't know what you're doing in Africa. Have you considered that right 
Now around you, there's millions of unsafe people. Has it ever occurred to you that if the end times are so near as you say they are, uh, I don't detect any passion for the lost in you? And he just sat there with his jaw open. He had no answer to that. And then the, my team leader called and I said, brother, I have to go, excuse me. So I managed to get, get, get out of that. But, but you know, that's where people are at. That is, I just want to tell you where people are at. We moved to the United, 20, United States 27 years ago. And when we moved here, now, many foreigners come here because the U.S., uh, uh, the churches in America are really generous in supporting missionaries. So many people who want to do missions from overseas want to come to America. Now, I can honestly say we didn't come here for that reason because I didn't know that the churches in America were good givers to missions. I had no idea. I'd never lived there before, except the year we went to Rama, and at that time nobody ever gave us anything, you know. So, so anyway, so we didn't know that. But 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 the Lord brought us here, and I said, Lord, I need a scripture. And the Lord showed me a scripture. I, I don't remember the reference, and it says, As for the saints in the land, they are the ones in whom is my delight. So I knew I was coming here for the church for for the body of Christ, you know, for, for, not that I'm a prophetic figure or something, but I came here for the believers here. So we moved here. And when we moved here, Bill Clinton was the president. And the first thing I noticed was how much Christians hated him. Now, you who are living here, born here, might not think that you hated him, but people actually hated him. And then uh, we had President Bush, uh, two terms with him. And then we had President Obama. And then, you know, we had President Trump. And then we have President Biden. And so, you know, it has seesawed back and forth, Democrat, Republicans, Democrat, Republicans. And I'll be very candid with you that I noticed that uh, most Christians were Republicans. And so when there's a Democratic president, even if he does something good, we have to crucify him. But it's, if it's a Republican president, no matter what flaws he has, we will find some angle there to tell everybody he's born again. And, 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 <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. Now, I know some of you may be getting mad at me for saying this, but as an immigrant and, uh, and as a Christian, I'm not used to this. And thank God, after 27 years, I'm not used to this. So, but I, I'm getting at why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sharing this because, you see, for me, um, I was a Muslim. I was persecuted by Muslims. And uh, when I got saved, I went to prison and they tortured me, they beat me, and they wanted to kill me. But I still cannot bring myself to hate them yeah. or to vilify them. Yeah. I cannot bring myself to vilify uh, abortionists and homosexuals and Democrats. You know why? Because they are my harvest. If you're a pastor or you're in the ministry, those people are your harvest. Your harvest is not fellow Christians. You want your church to grow and you vilify half of our population. You hate them. You give me one reason why they, they should come to your church. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. 
So the only growth you will have is transfer growth. People who leave other churches. But you see, we have to love sinners. And, and, and we have to be vocal about how much we love sinners. Of course, we, we disagree with a lot of things people say, but they are not our enemies. People are not our enemies. People who are lost, who don't know Jesus because they don't know Jesus, they will say, they will do things that we don't like. And, and, and don't forget, before we got saved, we were just like them. The only difference between them and me is Jesus. Amen. The only difference between someone, you know, uh, some years ago I found, I, I was talking about my own military buddies and there was this guy, he was my best friend. And, uh, and I asked one of my friends, what, what happened to him? They said, well, he became an Islamic scholar, left the military, became a medical doctor. Then he became an Islamic scholar and he's one of the great uh, apologists for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. I couldn't believe it. We were best buddies. And, and, and I went on YouTube and saw this guy. He was wearing his headgear and his big beard and he was going on and on. And I, I looked at it and I thought, that could have been me. But thank God, somebody shared the gospel with me. It is the gospel that makes the difference. And whenever we vilify people or we, or we are so vocal with how much we dislike them and we hate their agenda and they want to do this, and, you know, when that thing fills our heart, that is all we talk about. Because whatever possesses your heart, that's what you will talk about. And so when that happens, what, what happens is that we, we push people away. We push people away. They don't come to us for the answers in their lives. And that's why we as Christians, we got to up our game. We really, really have to raise our game to the next level and say, now what can I do to reach these people? Because listen, most of us, I mean, I go to Africa. Most of us, of you here will never go to Africa because this is your harvest field. This is your constituency. These are your people, those people around you. That is your harvest. Let no man speak ill of his harvest. I can't dislike those people. I said, that is my harvest. When I see, uh, you know, I, I saw this gay rights parade somewhere. I looked at all those people. There were two things within. One, first, the first thing, I felt disgusted. But the second thing, that Jesus died for them. This is my harvest. They are my harvest. They need to be saved. And who else is there to tell them about Jesus other than people like you and me? We are the only ones, we are the only ones who stand in the gap between heaven and hell for those people. With all our flaws, with all our faults, God has chosen us to preach the gospel. So we we have to be very, very, very mindful of that and realize that their right to hear the gospel is greater than my right to shoot my mouth just because I have the freedom of speech. Their right to hear the gospel and be saved is greater than my right to say what I think because I'm an American. Amen. Anyway, anyway, let's go to Matthew 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. 
And then Jesus said unto, these, uh, unto them, See not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Lord, tell us when shall these things be? Because Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed. He says, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Interesting question. They began to ask him, what are the signs of your coming? That is your return and the end of the world. Now, thinking of this, I realized you know, we say we are living in the end times because all the scriptures line up. But do you, re do you realize that in every age in the history of the church, people of that time have believed that they're living in the end times? The disciples believed they lived in the end times. The apostle Paul in his writings, it's very clear he believes they're living in the end time because they saw the condition of the world and they saw the way uh, everything kind of lined up with the scriptures. So uh, I, people ask me, are you living in the end, end times? Yeah, it seems so from the scripture and I can't see things getting any worse than they are. But uh, we said that 30 years ago, things were so bad. We thought couldn't get any worse. And so I cannot say with authority that Jesus is coming back in six months or one year, but it seems that we are in the end times. And maybe God has kept it that way because he wants to keep the church in its toes instead of kind of sinking back into complacency and saying, well, it'll be, you know, 200 more years or a thousand more years. So let's just take it easy. But God somehow, I believe some, sometimes God shows us enough to keep us on our toes. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, everything you study in the book of Revelation, uh, you know, you study about the end times. There's enough there for us to see what season we are living in, but there's enough that is hidden for us. Uh, so for us, the important thing isn't the date or the time, but the important thing is for us to preach the gospel to prepare the world for the return of Christ. So now these disciples, now this is 2,000 years ago, they are asking Jesus, okay, so what's going to happen uh, at the end and when are you coming back? And look at what Jesus answered. The first thing he said in verse 4, take heed that no man deceive you. First thing. Because whenever you begin to talk about these things, there's all these prophets. I had a brother who wrote to me from Singapore and, and, and he said, he said, Pastor Christopher, tell me one thing. He says, uh, with all these things that are happening in the world today with COVID and all that, he said, I've never seen so many end time prophets come out of the woodwork as I've seen at this time. You know, I said, he said, what is this that's going on? All these people who have pronouncements about the end times. And, and Jesus said, take it. The first thing he said, Take heed that nobody deceives you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now, you know, today at the time we are living in, there are more people who claim to be Jesus Christ than at any other time in history. There's false teachers, there's sects, there's cults, there's all kinds of things that are going on. And then he said, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. We are living in that time right now. Right now, as we speak, there are more wars being fought today than at any other time in history. There are rumors of war. But then he says, but when all this happens, 
He says, see to it that you are not troubled. Hallelujah. No matter what happens, the first thing is that we have to see to it. We have to make a conscious decision that no matter what happens in the world around us, what we read in the news, I refuse to be troubled. That is the first decision we have to make. I refuse to be troubled. I refuse to be scared about what's going to happen to America. But I'm putting my faith out that things, even if they don't get better, that my children and my grandchildren who'll be here two generations after I'm gone, they're going to thrive and they're going to do well. So we have to put our faith out for our children, for our grandchildren. And for their children, we have to put our faith out. We can't be all negative. Everything is coming to an end. That's not what we want to leave for our grandchildren. Because 50 years from now, they'll be our age. And so we have to believe God for them. So he says, do not be troubled. Hallelujah. And then he says, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. All these things are going to come to pass. So all these bad things we see around us, they must come to pass. In other words, we we cannot stop them. There's certain things that are inevitable. God says they're going to happen. He says, and then he says, but the end is not yet. So you think it's the end because it's gone so bad, can't get any worse? It's not the end as yet. And then he says here, verse 7, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. Famine means when there's a shortage of food. And pestilences, that means there's diseases and earthquakes and diverse places. Then it says in verse 8, and these are just the beginning of sorrows. That's just the beginning. When you think it's bad, It's just the beginning. Then it says, verse 9, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He's talking about the church now. They will kill us. They will, you know, I, I think sometimes we have a wrong idea of what persecution is. Someone says something bad, you know, or, or, you know, like in, you know, I'm not saying it's right, but when they say, well, you know, you can't sing loudly from the platform because when you sing loudly, you know, from the platform, the, uh, they say, this is what they say, that the coronavirus, which normally travels, you know, two yards through breathing, when you're singing loudly, it goes 10 yards. So, you know, some places say, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not saying it's right. But, and they tell us, you know, you can't meet and all that. I'm not saying it's right, but we think that's persecution. And that puts us at the same level as people who have been crucified and burnt and killed for their faith. Really, I mean, we look at that as persecution. 
That is not persecution. That is some misled, stupid people making some stupid laws and, 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 and uh, which affect us adversely. But that is not persecution. Persecution is when they leave everybody alone and they target the Christians and they come and arrest you and they begin to they tie you up and they torture you and they beat you and they kill you. You know, the execution squads and all that. That is persecution. And thank God we are not there as yet. So it says that they are going to do that to us. And the reason, there's a reason I'm going through all this. He says, we shall be hated from all, by all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. People in the church, Christians shall be offended. And they shall betray one another. These are church people and they shall hate one another. Then he says, and false prophets shall rise and they'll deceive many. Then he says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. People shall become, live in sin and their hearts will get cold and they will not love one another as we ought to. Then he says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Those who will stand through it and stand in faith and stand for Jesus and still, you know, love Jesus and love people, they're the ones who are going to make it. And look what it says in the midst of this, we have a commandment, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. That means there's one thing that shall continue Unabated, that means our resolve and our passion to spread the gospel should never go down. This gospel of the kingdom, you know, just imagine what he's telling us that the financial situation will be bad and you're going to be persecuted. They're going to hate you. They're going to kill you. They're going to do this and do that. And there'll be wars and famines and pestilences and there'll be diseases. But in spite of all this, one thing that should never stop is the preaching of the gospel to the lost because that is God's number one agenda. The number one thing on God's agenda is the preaching of the gospel to those who are lost and dying without him. Hallelujah. In all this, he didn't say, well, you cut down and tone it down a little bit. No, that's one thing. I mean, our vision for souls should be unrelenting. This gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of salvation, of healing and deliverance, it shall be preached unto every nation as a witness, and then shall the end come. So when times get bad, when it gets really, really bad, we should continue preaching the gospel. COVID-19, we should continue preaching the gospel. COVID-20, COVID-21, I don't know what else is going (laughs) down the road, but we shall continue preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. We shall continue preaching the gospel and the Lord will protect us. And the Lord, you know, we have to stand in faith for it. We have to do whatever it takes to get the gospel out to those who have never heard. Because, you know, when all this thing happened, the whole world shut down. It seemed to me that somebody 
pushed on a giant pause button. You know, all business, everything, everything shut down, everything said Samson. And the Lord said, there's two things that have not come to a standstill. People are still being born into this world and people are still dying and going into eternity. And their eternal destiny depends upon the gospel. So we must keep on preaching the gospel. We have to find means and ways to get the word out and preach the gospel. Anyway, then, um, then it says, verse 24, there's one thing, um, you know, there's, there's one thing that comes, you know, the Bible talks about believing, about faith. But uh, it says, let's, let's look at verse 26. It says, wherefore they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth, and behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. I mean, there are things we should believe, but there's also things we should not believe. (laughs) People in the Christian world say a lot of things, but just because they say it, it doesn't mean we should believe what they say. Believe it not. There are certain things I choose not to believe. I'm a faith guy. I believe it if it's in this book. If it's in this book, I believe it. Yeah. But if it's not in this book, it's just somebody talking or he's on, it's a motor mouth on, on TV uh, or whatever. I am not going to believe it. I just refuse. I draw a line. I'm a faith guy, but that doesn't mean I believe everything. Amen. So we have to make our minds. There's certain things I'm not going to believe. Yeah. Anything that binds people in fear, that takes away their faith, that takes away their hope, that incapacitates them. So they sit paralyzed in fear. I refuse to believe those things. Or anything that is outlandish. They say, you know, God is showing me this, God is showing me that, and it doesn't match up with the scripture. I'm not going to believe it. Anyway, then... We go to verse 35. I'm jumping over a lot of things here because it's, uh, it's you know, two whole chapters. Then this, these two chapters, Matthew 24, 25, are very interesting because uh, when you rock, read it, when people talk about the end times, they, uh, they talk about Daniel or they talk about the book of Revelations. Now, the thing about Daniel and the book of Revelations is they're, in a sense, very cryptic. You know, very cryptic. I mean, it's like uh, every end time teacher sounds good, but they each disagree with one another. Everybody says something different, and they all sound good. So uh, I I know this pastor. He uh, he fancies himself to be a great end time teacher, and uh, he he was going on and on. And I was so stupid. I'm I'm not a great diplomat, you know, Uh, and I. I said to him, I said, brother, you know, but everybody says something different. He says, I know they do, but I got the whole truth. I I got it figured out. And I said, well, that's what everybody said. Well, needless to say, he never invited me back to his church again. I should have kept my mouth shut and being nice. You know, he was a, you know, he gave me a good offering the first time. Second time, he never invited me back because I kind of questioned his credentials as a great 
you know, as the only end-time teacher who had it together. But everybody says something different. So that's why whenever, when, you, when you look at Daniel, you go, you go to uh, the, the book of Revelations, there's plenty there that's kind of a bit diffused and clouded over for people who have different interpretations. But Matthew 24, 25 is interesting because here is Jesus talking yeah. and there's nothing clouded over. It's very, very clear. Wars, rumors, and war, rumors of wars. This is what's going to happen, but this is what I want you to do. And that's what I like about it. It tells us what's going to happen, but he also tells us, you know, don't be, uh, don't panic, don't be afraid. This is and preach the gospel. So I like it because it gives us very clear-cut instructions on what we should do in times such as the times we are living in. And the first, you know, and, and so... Anyway, so let's, let's go on. It says, verse 35, in the middle of all this, he says, you know, he's talking about all these bad things going to happen. But then he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. No matter what happens, he says, the Bible will still be the Bible. It will still be the word of God. It will still keep on saying the same thing. And that is your anchor. In a shifting world where everything is changing, there is only one thing that is absolute, and that is the word of God. And it is not subject to any reinterpretation. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. I have a, I know a couple dear, dear friends and, uh, in Sweden, and their son, good kid. I mean, known this since he was born. He suddenly came out and said he was gay. So I wrote to the parents. I just felt bad for them. I said, well, you know, I just want you to know I've known you for over 30 years. You've raised a good family. You've done your best for your kids. You're good people. You love Jesus. So don't beat yourself up for this. But keep on loving your children unconditionally. Just being, keep on being good Christians and good parents. And just, just affirm them, you know, encourage them. And they wrote back to me. I was shocked what they said. And these are third generation Pentecostals. And they said to me, yes, thank you, Brother Christopher, for sharing your thoughts. We appreciate your sentiments. Thank you for encouraging us. But you know, we have thought of it a lot, and I think we need to reinterpret the scriptures. Because our son didn't choose to be like this. And maybe the way we interpret the scriptures is wrong. And I didn't reply to them. I felt, now I felt worse for them. Now, now they can't even come out of it because they, they, what they're saying that we got to, you know, reinterpret the scripture to, to kind of prove that it's okay to live that way. And, but, you know, they had forgotten the fact that in this changing world, there's one thing that is rock solid and that is the word of God. Once you lose that, once that ceases to be your anchor, then that's when you're in trouble. So he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. And then we go towards the end of the chapter. And verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. And this tells us that in the middle of the situation, we have to be wise and faithful servants. 
with the things that God has put in our hands to minister to others with. Because it says, ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. So we who are ministers of the gospel, we have a responsibility to God's people to feed them, to guide them, to lead them, to help them through these difficult times. That is our responsibility. And so that, and we must take this responsibility very, very seriously because we have this position. It has been given to us by God so we can lead people and guide them. And that's why we have to guard our mouths. Really, you know, I remember what Pastor Sam said yesterday about that congresswoman who was crying out to God and who was, you know, taking authority over the devil. I saw that clip myself, Pastor, and I have no doubt she was a born-again, spirit-filled believer. And then I, uh, I, uh, I actually checked on her, who that woman was, and she was an African-American woman, and she was a Democrat. But just because she was a Democrat, people said, she's not a Christian. How stupid are we? I thought salvation was based on the blood of Jesus and not on party affiliation. Hello? Has the gospel changed? That the D or the R after your name determines whether you're saved or not? Because, Because obviously people believe that. And then Pastor Sam said something very striking. He said, I wonder what the guy says to his church. Now, if we as pastors, as servants of God become that way, what will our church members be like? I mean, they'll be as carnal as they come. And there's too many Christians who are carnal. And it's, it's not, you know... It's by, the, by your fruits you shall know them. And that kind of gospel doesn't produce fruit. So we have to be wise and faithful servants. And one of the things is that we as servants, we don't always have the luxury to say what we are thinking. Because it can poison other people. Sometimes good just to zip my lip when it's just my thoughts. When it's the word of God, we have to be bold in preaching it and telling with conviction, this is what the Bible says. But when it comes to other things, sometimes it's good just to shut up and be quiet and not say every thing that comes through our mind because it doesn't, you know, if it's not of God, it can poison other people because we have such a... Uh, responsibility. You know, look, here's the thing I struggle with. I, I, because, you know, I'm, I'm like a missionary evangelist. I, I, I've always looked at myself as a person of little consequence. And, and I, because, you know, I want to be humble. I want to be small in my own eyes. And I used to be around Brother Hagen a lot. Personally, I was very close to him. And the thing about him that struck me the most was how small he was in his own eyes. And I want to be that way. I don't want to think that I'm a highfalutin something. But the problem is, the problem, the downside of that is that when you think of yourself that way, which is a good thing, you don't realize the influence you have on other people. You think, you know, I don't have much influence. Who listens to me? I always think that. Who would even come to listen to me? But people do. And my words do make a difference. Both for good and for bad. 
So we have to be wise and faithful servants. Okay, let's go to Matthew 25. Then Jesus goes into Matthew 20. Now, there's a lot of things here I'm jumping over, but I I would encourage you to study these two chapters. There's a lot in there. A lot of the stories and the parables and the things there, we, we isolate them from these two chapters and we preach them. But once you put them back into those chapters, then you see the context. And then you say, wow, this is the context in which he's talking. That enriches the, the meaning of the whole story because you read it in its context. So now in verse 25, uh, it begins with a story of the ten virgins. You remember that one? Yeah. Now you understand in its context. This is in the context of the end times. The yeah. ten religion, uh, the yeah. ten virgins and five of them had the oil and five don't have the oil. And, and uh, you know, I've heard many interpretations of this, but the best one I've heard that the five who had the oil, that, that was true Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And the other five who didn't have the oil, that was empty religion. Or the ones with oil, that was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They were on fire. They carried the oil of the anointing. But there were five who didn't. So on this, in times like this, we we have to have oil in our lamps. Wake up every morning. Do I have oil in my lamp? Hallelujah. Because if there's no oil, you cannot have a flame. We all want the fire, but we can't have the fire. We can't have the Pentecostal flame unless there's oil in it. Hallelujah. Do we have the oil or not? So, you know, there's the story of those virgins. And then from verse 14, it's interesting because you've got these uh, three very important parables hidden in this one chapter. Then from verse 14, he's talking about those Three servants to whom the master gave those talents. Remember? Five talents, two talents, one talent. And that talks about stewardship. In the end times, stewardship. The Lord put five, these are the end times. These are really, really bad times. Jesus is talking about the end times. He says to the first servant, he put five talents. Now a talent is a gold coin. He puts five gold coins in his hand and says, do something with it. The other one, he gave two. And the third one, he gave one. Now, why did he give five, two, and one? Well, he knew their character. He knew their potential. Amen. Everybody will not have the same gifting and the ability to some God gives more because they can handle it better. He expects more. The important thing isn't how big your ministry is. So listen, if you're an evangelist, don't play the numbers game. Don't play, don't put in a newsletter so many thousands. So don't play the numbers game, but do the best you can with the abilities and the anointing that God has put upon your life. That's the most, I don't put numbers. In my newsletters, you will never see numbers. You will see a photo and people can speculate how many people were there. Sometimes people ask me, how many were there? I said, I don't know, anywhere between five and a hundred thousand. I don't know. Because the moment you do that, you encourage carnality. People begin to compare. Because sometimes I like to go to small towns. There's very few people, all Muslims. Naturally, there'll be fewer people there. 
Then I go to other places where I have more people, but I don't, I don't want to compare. You, you can't think that way. Because even Jesus in his ministry, he went to the small towns and villages and he preaches, and I'm not bigger than him. Yeah. You know, no matter how big my ministry is, it is, I'm not bigger than Jesus. What if I say, oh, I preach to more people than Jesus did? God forbid you begin to think that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? But some people get five talents, some people get two, some people get one, and it's faithfulness, stewardship. Stewardship. So it's stewardship of material resources as well as stewardship of abilities and giftings. God gives us different giftings. All of us have these three elements in our lives. We have spiritual giftings. We have natural abilities. And then we have material resources. And God is looking at what are we doing with what God has given to us. Now, I don't want to lift anyone above the other, but I preach for Brother Andy. And they told me he has a good church. You should go there. I went there. And I said, where's the people? I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. There isn't even a big city there. Am I correct, brother? Grosbeck is on the map. I thought I'd almost passed it. I was driving. It was, but I went to the church and the church was alive. It was on fire. It was full. And then I thought, now here's a man who's doing something with God has put in his hand. That's, that's what it's all about. It's not the size of your church. But it's what you're doing with what God has put in your hand. How you dispose of your spiritual giftings, your natural abilities, and your material resources. We all have these things. But we got to do the best we can with what God has given us and be faithful. Now, there's a difference between stewardship and ownership. And ownership is, ownership is when you say, this is mine. Yeah. I will do with it what I please. And, and many people live an ownership life. I've given my 10% to Jesus and this 90% is mine and that is mine and I'll do with it what it please. Now stewardship, guys, is everything God has given me is of his. He can have as much as he wants, whatever. Now, when you live a life of stewardship, there's no limit to upload or download. Whatever God asks for, he gets, and there's no limit to how much he blesses you because you're living with the principle of stewardship. Amen? So here, in these last days, we have to be good stewards of our material resources, of our human abilities, and of the giftings and the anointing of the Holy Ghost in our lives and use it to full measure. If you feel that you have an anointing to preach the word, look for every opportunity to preach the word. Even if it's an individual you're talking to, or, you know, and he needs encouragement, he needs faith to be built up, open your Bible and teach the word. If you have an anointing to pray for the sick and your miracles in a ministry, you find sick people, just pray for them, lay hands on them. Use what God has put into your hands. Amen. Then the third thing, the last thing I want to bring out from verse 25, uh, chapter 25. 
is Jesus. From verse 34, he says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And we fed you, or thirsty, and gave you to drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came to thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I send to you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done unto me. So he's talking about the poor, right? He's talking about the sick, and he's talking about those in prison. Now we're talking about those who are in prison. Normally those in prison are those who are the lower end of society. They're the ones who nobody wants to have anything to do with. Right? Right. I mean, these are criminals. These are bad people. And Jesus said, what you have done for them, you've done for me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to see me. I said, Lord, when did we do this for you? He said, well, when you fed that poor man, you fed me. When he bought clothes for that person who didn't have clothes to wear, when he bought shoes for that man who didn't have shoes, you bought clothes and shoes for me. When he fed that hungry man, you fed me. And when you visited that criminal in prison who rightly deserved to be there, then you visited me. Jesus In this, he identifies not with the rich and the prosperous and the righteous, but he identifies himself with the poor, the hungry, and the criminal. And he said, how you have treated me, treated them, is how we have treated me. And here I see this ministry reaching out and touching people, touching the poor and touching the hungry and touching those who are in prison, touching those who, who in the natural we don't want to have anything to do with. That is such an important part of our ministry in these end times. Touching those people who are untouchable. Because Jesus is in them. And, you know, uh, one thing I never understood, Mother Teresa used to say, you know, she used to, uh, they, she had a house home for the dying. They used to bring people who were dying there. And, you know, they were like beyond help. And she didn't know anything about healing or speaking the word, but she felt that I want to care for the dying because I see Jesus in them. I never understood that until I read the scripture. She had that ability to see Jesus in a Hindu man lying on the streets, dying of an incurable disease, 
So they would bring them into her and she would wash their feet and give them a dignified death because they didn't have an understanding of revelation, a lot of the things that we have been taught. Praise God for the things we know. But she served those people because she said, what I do for them, I do for Jesus. I never understood that until I saw this scripture. But, But this is a very important part of our ministry in these days that we look at those people and serve them and help them because what we do for them is what we do for Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's all stand up together. Thank you, Jesus. I filled my heart. Pastor Sam, would you pray for us? Hallelujah. Father, I just pray right now we hear with our hearts what we've been spoken today. Father, that we recognize and understand who we really are. Yes, Lord. And that the life that we now live, we don't live for the world. We live for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Father, open our eyes to those around us. As Christopher has pointed out so clearly, open our eyes to those around us to see that we might minister and bring life and bring a touch of heaven to someone to to help them with their life. Lord, I pray today that every one of us, every one of us have an opportunity to do just that today. Let us not walk away from it. Let it not be a time where we choose convenience over inconvenience. But we do something significant. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Wow, that's so rich. Let me say something, and then we'll go so we can get some lunch and some rest and come back tonight. Brother Eddie Turner will be with us tonight, amen. Glory to God. Tomorrow, uh, brother, my brother, Brother Alan Martin, will be speaking, and Brother Greg Fritz will be speaking tomorrow. Let me tell you, let me say, let me tell you just a little something. One of the greatest frustrations of the great change in Lee and I's life when we left the field ministry and came into pastoral ministry was the great reduction in my life of soul winning. Now, let me clarify that. That was the preaching of meetings and messages in which a lot of people would come and get saved because all the meetings I did were special to the churches that I were going to. So, you know, there were people would invite. So a lot of people, and I know with, with Rocky and them down in Honduras, we had saw hundreds of saved. We saw hundreds, thousands saved in Ireland and different places. And so I really struggled with that the first four or five years of pastoring. And I just told the Lord, I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm totally ineffective. I'm totally ineffective. I I mean, I'm not winning near the souls I used to win. I'm not getting near the... And then the Lord began to really deal with me and said, Listen, I have caused this change in your life to make you more effective, not less effective. And you're going to have to not not just expect to win thousands of people. you You need to raise up a crowd of people that does the same thing you do. So as I've pastored over the years... Everywhere we went in field ministry and every hobby we had in our life became a pulpit. 
My brother and I were raised on the island surfing. And so I prayed. And I said, Lord, how can we reach surfers? You know what he did? He sent us to Hawaii. We had a 10-year revival. Am I right, Alan? We saw hundreds saved. We saw people that, are, uh, that were crack addicts. There they called it ice. It's a terrible type of methamphetamine. We would go into their garages and homes. Rocky, you were with us on the streets telling people, Jesus loves you. People would look at us and say, why are you here? Who are you? And we would tell them, Jesus loves you. And we would lead them to the Lord in mass. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, now you've got to raise up a group of people that have that same heart to do. But in the meantime, you're going to have to continue to win souls. So when I go to the to the rice fields of Winnie, Texas, I'm the preacher. That's what they call me. There's the preacher over there at Waffle House. There's the, hey, I heard somebody's going to, uh, there's three three places in, in Winnie. They call the places where they hunt holes. They say, you know, there's a, got a duck hole over there. It means a place where there's water and ducks come to. He said, there's three places in Winnie they call the preacher's hole because I used to have them and my reputation is if, 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 if that preacher, if he's there, if that's his place, that's where all the ducks are going to go. And we've led people to the Lord. We've prayed for people. We've seen miracles. I've seen people's backs healed. I saw someone that, uh, a couple that could not have a child have a child. I'm the preacher. I go to, I go to the San Burrito in, in, in Laredo. I'm the reverend. The reverend's here. I've, I've seen the head guy go around and say, the reverend's, the reverend's here. The reverend's here. Amen. And, and even, you can ask Christopher, even all around this city, I can take you to people at the Chevron station. Come here, come with me, Christopher. You got to talk to this guy. He's from Nepal. And they started talking and started having her. I mean, it was hard. It's hard to witness to somebody when the only contact you have with them is at a, at a, at a counter. So what do you do? You love them. You talk to them. You encourage them. Now he's flying to Nepal today with both of Christopher's books. Because I asked him, I said, remember Christopher who you met? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, he has some books. Would you like to read them while you're on the plane? Oh, I'd love to read them. There's a whole community of them in our, in our city. From Nepal, from Pakistan, from India. We're going we're gonna to get them all. We got to start with one. We're going to get them all. Where are you effective in your soul winning and your witness? Where? Everywhere you are. If you will just do it. Ministry is so much more than what this is right here. Thank God for this. This is where we're trained. This is where we're refreshed. But listen, when we leave this place, you walk out into the mission field. This entire world is our mission field. And now is the time for the church to come online and begin to reproduce, not after some great vision of a man, or to be, begin to reproduce after the heart of Jesus. He loves people. I think that's why the Lord, I, I had all kinds of plans to go to Raymond. I love Raymond. I've even, I, I've even sat with Brother Hagen and told him this story. I wanted to go. I was invited to live with Mom Goodwin and go to Raymond. Whoa! But you know, I was praying. And I'd prayed for three months about Bible school. I knew I was supposed to go. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, don't go to Raymond. I couldn't handle that. And I called Mom Goodwin one day and I said, Mom, and we called her Nana. I said, Nana, 
I, I don't think I'm supposed to go to Ramah. She said, that's right, honey. You need to learn to follow the Holy Ghost right now. God will set, tell you where to go. Well, there are many places to go, Christ for the Nations. Jimmy Swaggart had a big Bible school, all these places, even, even Southwestern. My dad, dad, how long were you on the board at Southwestern? Fifteen years he was on the board at Southwestern Assemblies of God Bible College. But I went to a place called the Oasis of Love, and God put the world in my heart. And that's why we're a missions church. Because now we can win souls at the Chevron Station, in the Duck Fields, in the Deer Ranch. We can also win them in Ireland and China, Tanzania and India and Bolivia and Australia and all these other nations. Because not only do we go ourselves, we send others. So the entire church, this is going to be the glorious part of the church, is when every individual realizes, yeah, hey, Christopher, I'm, woo, praise God, glory to God. Pastor Sam, Pastor Randy, all these others, oh, anointed. You, you have the same spirit in you, the same gifts in you, the same anointings in you to be used outside. And one of the greatest things that you will ever experience in your life, where it's in the worst pain of your life, and when your heart is as broken as it can be, God grants you an opportunity to witness to somebody, and you're able to love them, and as you love them, you heal yourself. And it can happen with any situation you've ever gone through. When you begin to love that unlovable, touch that, that's what Brother Osteen taught us. Reach the unreachable. Love the unlovable. Touch the unto. And he was so passionate about it. And what's amazing, I was in a class of, of 120. We graduated. There's two of us in the ministry. Me and, me and Daniel, Matai, are in the ministry today. That means not everything is taught. Some things are caught. And you need to catch that passion for everyone around you. We, we coined a phrase here at Island Church several years ago, and it was this. The reason we're so passionate about winning souls is because hell is forever. And you know, it's, you, can, you can get cancer in your body and go to MD Anderson or, or be healed in a meeting. That's temporary. You can go through a bankruptcy or a divorce. That's temporary. But hell is for eternity. And nobody knows that more than our God knows. And that's why he, listen, this is what this is all about. This time of preparation is to thrust the church into the harvest. Harvest will take place in the auditoriums, at the grocery stores, in the, in the, in the gas stations, in the bays, in the duck fields, at the, at the everywhere, everywhere. Harvest will come everywhere we go and share Jesus with people. Because I'm telling you, the times are demanding it now. People are without answers. They're fearful. They don't know what to do. And listen, now's the time for us to touch it with the love of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Sam has already prayed with great dismissal prayer. Give Brother Christopher Alam and Pastor Randy Ayers a great hand clap. Amen. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Glory to God. Be sure and come back. Brother Eddie's going to get us all healed, delivered, set free. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. Be safe. Uh, we'll see you back this evening. Don't forget prayer at 6.30. We'll be in the prayer room praying. Church at 7.30. God bless you.